Welcome to episode 176. Everyone knows that the American church is in crisis, but what is it we should be moving towards? Today we welcome pastor, author, and speaker Tara Beth Leach about her new book, Radiant Church. That's today on The Reclaimed Leader. Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Hey, everyone, welcome to episode 176 of the Reclaim Leader Equipping Churches for Turnaround Change. I'm Jason Tucker, back again with Jesse Skiffington. How's it going, Jesse? Here we are. Here we are, Jason. Still recording, still trying to put some things out there for people to engage with that hopefully, you know, some of the things we're talking about, I hope are useful. I'm sure there's big chunks of stuff that you're like, um, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. But anyway, I think if we have enough conversation over enough time, there's bound to be a few nuggets. I mean, the odds, there, right? I mean, right? We gotta... the odds are good. So anyway, thanks for being along on the journey with us. And all those have been listening all along, you know, heard from a friend of mine that's been listening kind of from the beginning days and just um, uh, getting to chat about what, what the journey has been like to share this time with you, Jason, and kind of have something that we get to do on a regular basis, not only to think about leadership for ourselves, but then to broaden the conversation out and to uh, invite other people leading in the church and other places to, to, to do. So we're continuing that today and really exciting. I mean, talk about, about bringing someone who just, I think is just the timeliness of the message is, is right on. So tell us a little bit about our guest today. Yeah, so Tara Beth Leach is a pastor. She is currently serving at Christ Church of Oak Brook in the uh, Chicago area. She's a pastor, author, speaker, and she has a new book called Radiant Church. And I got a chance to meet her a couple of years ago and uh, was doing some work where we were kind of sharing, a, a, you know, the intersection of life, just kind of very briefly, and and it was really great. And so she getting her on the podcast. She's gonna be one of the speakers at our at our online conference that we're doing here in the spring and so excited about the book and getting her to uh, getting some time for her to come on and be part of the podcast. So really excited about that. Yeah. It's fun to just get to listen in and, you know, uh, she's really just sharing her heart for the church. Some of the things that she sees in the church then and in her experiences that I think are give some room for critique and examination. And then uh, what I love is kind of where we end though, is with hope. Uh, that God's still at work in our midst. And there's, uh, so I can't, I can't wait to share uh, Tara Beth with everybody and uh, just grateful that she took the time to be with us. Yeah. So let's get into it. Here's our interview with Tara Beth Leach. Well, hey everyone. I'm so excited to introduce our guest for this week. She's a pastor at Christ Church of Oak Brook, pastor, speaker, author, who her new book, Radiant Church debuted two weeks ago. And we are so excited to welcome a friend to the podcast, Tara Beth Leach. Welcome. Thanks, Jason. I'm so happy to be here. Looking forward to our time together. Well, if I'm just going to say right out the outset, if nobody, if people haven't gotten your book yet and you're listening, you need to just pause this and go get it. It's called Radiant Church. We're going to talk more about that. We're going to talk about the book in some detail, but also a little bit about Tara Beth and her story and her journey. I just think, um, Tara Beth, you got such a wonderful gift with words, such a, such a heart for ministry, for people. And I'm so excited to have our listeners get introduced to you. And some, actually, I had somebody reach out to me 
who saw that you would be speaking at uh, the online conference yeah. in, in April and said, oh my gosh, do you know her? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know her. So <laughs> People are excited to hear from you. You can be like, not only did I know her, but I coached her. Ah, there you go. There yes. we go. You were a coach to me. That's and it. Really now, I, I got I to name drop more. That's really no. what's missing in my <laughs> life. Um, so, <laughs> so Tara Beth, um, I saw you about a year ago at Paznaz in Pasadena. Yeah. And it was crazy. That was the last time I was on an airplane was coming out for that. That happened right before the lockdown. And you have had an absolutely crazy year. I know I don't need to tell you that, but I mean, can you share a little bit about what this journey has been like since you've left Paznaz and now you're, you're at um, Christchurch and this whole journey over this last year and now, and a new book coming out and like just all these things happening in your life. Can you share a little bit about that? And you could probably, I'm sure share a bit about where you've seen God showing up in all of this. Yeah. And even all of this is so connected. My time at Paznaz, what I experienced at Paznaz, which you for a period of time had a front row seat to. I I think I remember a couple of Zoom calls where I was crying, just talking about that journey there. And really that journey was so beautiful, so rich and so hard. And there's a reason that Radiant Church was birthed while I was at Paznaz. It was, you know, a book of lament and a uh, book of hope, and really what I hoped Paznaz uh, and the larger church across America could be. And, you know, we can talk about that more, but, you know, I stepped into a turnaround situation as the first female pastor of a historic church, and it was so beautiful, and it was so hard, and pastoring in a turnaround situation was hard in and of itself. And then when you start adding layers of 2020 on top of that pandemic, um, political polarization, racial tensions, and then my dad was diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer, and then my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer, and then my parents went through just a time of ongoing distress of moving out of a home and into a smaller place. And um, I came August and I was standing in the hospital room with my dad. And I was trying to manage, you know, just general COVID stuff, political stuff at Paznaz, turnaround stuff, and my family and caretaking for my dad. And in August, I just said to the Lord, I said, something's got to give. Because I was in a place where I felt like I had a bungee cord wrapped around my waist, and it was pulling both directions, and I could not breathe. And I just said, Lord, like, I can't. I'm being pulled in two directions. Something has got to give. And it was as though the spirit just sliced the bungee cord in half on one side. And I went catapulting in the other direction. Uh, It was that moment of release. And it was so wild, Jason, because again, you got to see, you know, as as you were in this coaching and consulting experience with us, uh, how hard it was. And for me, the narrative at Paznaz for the four and a half years I was there was you can have the courage to stay. The bold thing to do is to pastor this church. You are emboldened. And in August, it was like the spirit just flipped the script up on its head and said, you can have the courage to go. And so there we went. We went catapulting into this crazy liminal space that we still find ourselves in. Uh, we're back in Chicagoland caring for my folks. My dad is, is, is gravely ill. We're in a really difficult season. Then caring for my mom. 
Um, and thankfully, by the grace of God, uh, Christ Church, um, where I was on staff actually before going to Paznaz, so this is home for me, said, hey, why don't you come back? Uh, we'll find a place for you. Just come back, care for your That's folks, awesome. and we'll figure this out. And it's been beautiful. It's been healing. It's been restful um, and, and, and crazy. It's I just, I'm so grateful that I'm here. That's awesome. And I'm so deeply joyful that you have had the release from Paznaz and the room to tend to the things that you need tended to. Yeah. But I'm sure that 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 was a decision, you know, looking from the outside now, you're like that, that was an easy decision in some ways, right? I mean, like that, that was in some ways a no brainer, but not at the time. I'm sure it was. No, I thought I would never leave. So much invested, right? Up until the moment that the spirit released me, I was committed. Um, I was, you know, just set. I was, I, I said, I'm going to, I want to be the pastor here for 30 years. And I meant it. That wasn't a flippant thing. And in many ways, I think as pastors, we have to go into situations with that mindset that we're in this for the long haul and the spirit can all, you know, often surprise us. But I, I thought I was there for the long haul. I was, I, I would tell people. I'm just as shocked as anyone. Yeah. Um, but I was also sure. I was certain that that's what the spirit was doing. Yeah. It's just, um, it's always funny to think about, you know, we, we have a certain plan for our ministry career trajectory, and we have a certain idea in our heads about how we think things are going to work out. And, and the Lord does his thing. But I think the willingness to hear it is not something we all have. I mean, I, I, I think it's complicated. And to be able to walk away and to go into this next, I just think it's, it's a testimony to being able to listen to the spirit and, yeah. and act as well. Yeah. And, you know, it can be disruptive. It's, it's a beautiful and holy disruption though. Yeah. So I want to shift a little bit as we start talking more about the book. Uh, you talk a little bit about being a mainline kid and youth yeah. group and talking about that time that was real formative for you. Maybe can you share a little bit about how that experience of that time in your life really shaped you and your approach to church that certainly has changed as it's gone, but you know, how did that kind of set you up? It was a really interesting time growing up, the youth group kids in the 90s. Yeah, it was a really formative uh, time for me. As you said, I did grow up in the mainline church. And it wasn't until I was actually 16 that I really moved out of the mainline church and I stepped full-fledged into what we call today evangelicalism. I would have had no idea that that's what it was then. But I was, you know, I had an experience with Youth for Christ, and it was there that, you know, I entered into a real confessing relationship with Jesus and, you know, was just this experience, this amazing renewal and fell in love with Jesus in ways that I had never experienced before. And so I was, you know, I I experienced just the epitome of 1990s youth ministry. I was a Jesus freak. Um, I was all about, you know, the Jesus freak. And I was totally and wholly captivated 
by, you know, even the Jesus freak movement. Um, I would sing that song with such like, you know, just like, I was so indignant, like what would people think if they knew that I was a Jesus freak? And so I was so fascinated, you know, by the book, Jesus freaks and this, you know, people being persecuted by their faith. And I remember we, uh, when I was a junior in high school, we were just going to, you know, we were going to take our high school for Jesus. And as students, we were all praying around our flagpole um, for 30 days straight. And there was a car that drove by and they yelled at us out their window and they threw um, like a plastic gas station cup of like soda in it and they threw it at us. And I was like, we're being persecuted. This is it. <laughs> We've arrived in the Christian faith. And, you know, it's, it was it was really formative years for for wonderful reasons and for, I think, reasons that I critique later in the book. And I thank God for that. You know, God used it in the spirit, you know, just to work through that. And I am where I am today because of those years. And I think there's also much for us to reflect on about how we've gotten to where we are today. What's fascinating, Tara Beth, is that so I was a youth pastor of, of those uh, mid to late nineties um, youth group kids. And in some ways ministry had never been better as far yeah. as youth group goes. And, and it's the heyday life. Yeah, absolutely. Life transformation. And there was this kind of this in all of its wonderful weirdness of that time, yep. there was some really deep relationships with Jesus that were forming. However, Years later, when I became a pastor, I started getting calls to do a bunch of weddings. I must have done two dozen weddings Mm -hmm. of kids from youth group in that area after I had gone. And the reason is because I was the only pastor they had any connection with. Yeah. Many of whom stopped going to church, weren't involved in any way. And one of the greatest sorrows that I've had in ministry has been watching that whole generation completely disengage from the life of the church, who all would have said at that time, my best friend's born in a manger, right? We are all Jesus freaks and and yet had had left and thinking and reflecting on how the church had failed them and, and how even in all of our ministry programming, we failed to help them understand what a relationship with Jesus really meant, what the church right. really meant, because we were so siloed in our ministry compared to what was going on in the rest of the church. And this really, I think, points to what you get talking about in Radiant Church, about some of the issues of church being rooted in success and individualism and needing to be more rooted in God's story. Mm-hmm. You talk about an experience where you saw Willow Creek for the first time. Yeah. Share a little bit about what that did for you when you walked in there. Uh, I love how you talk about it in the book. Yeah, I walked into Willow Creek the first time, early 20s. And when I walked in there for that worship service, you know, you walk in, you go up escalators and you walk through like a mall food court. And then you enter into this just massive sanctuary and there's these lights and the band is awesome. And it's just, the place is hopping. And I thought this is a rival right here. Like this is the epitome of what like the ultimate church experience should be like. 
And I took that experience and packaged it up and I placed it on top shelf for the ultimate vision, almost that tell us of, you know, of how, of how church should be, of what the epitome of success ought to be. And of course, like we went because I was, so I studied youth ministry at Olivet Nazarene University, amazing experience and an amazing professor, you know, that we, we started reading books by Bill Hybels and he took the whole class up there and we studied Willow Creek and we talked about how they were born and how it happened. And it began when, you know, Bill Hybels was looking out the window and saying, what does an Acts 2 church look like today? You know, so something was being formed in me during those years. And we went and I thought, wow, this is the Acts 2 church. This is it. They are reaching people. People are getting saved. And so something was constructed and formed in my mind of the the epitome of success. And I'm still trying to undo that and shed that to this day. Yeah. Jesse and I can't relate to that in any way. Yeah. You know, we have our own, <laughs> our own versions of that. Yeah. And that you kind of get captive to this picture of what it's going to be or be like when you, when you get there. And Jason and I talk about this all the time. There are people we look up to in ministry and churches that we admire. And um, I, I suffer from an imposter syndrome all the time. Like mm. I'll never, we'll never get there. We're, we're coming up short and it's amazing. And no matter how much affirmation of our particular ministry, where we are, there's that, that voice from the, those, those pictures that had been painted in our minds of what success looks like. So yep. for me, it was going to, um, I think it was called thirsty at the time, but it was the first time I went to North point community church and had that similar experience of walking in Andy Stanley's on the stage and just going, this is, this is what it looks like to thrive yep. and succeed in ministry. And it doesn't negate any of the good stuff that those folks are doing in their environments. But for me, coming back into the world that I was connected to and a part of that wasn't not who I, I, or we were called to be as right. a church. So yeah, those, those images though, they can, they just get it deep yeah. into our heart and our soul. Yep. Absolutely. And I think it all came to a head for me in 2017, 2018, when um, I'd been pastoring at Paznaz for two years and we had lost hundreds of people, hundreds Um, for so many, you know, just cascading reasons, you know, the first reason out of the gate was because I was a female pastor and then all the layers and nuances that go along with that. And then, you know, we talk about the change, you know, that we started implementing, but then there were also some really strong, like political things happening in the fall. I did a sermon series called the politics of Jesus. And I talk about this in the book where, you know, we call the church to be citizens of the kingdom, that Jesus is king. And something you would think that would not be controversial. But again, we lost people. And so we have just all of this just gigantic snowball effect where in 2018, I was standing in the rubble. I'm like, what happened? Am I a failure? And at the same time, the churches back in my hometown, Chicago, that I had elevated and put on the top shelf as the epitome of success, all of a sudden the curtains were pulled back and things weren't what we thought they were. So starting with Bill Hybels and the culture at Willow Creek, all of these things, I mean, the curtains were pulled back and you think, 
oh, maybe that's not and should not be the telos for us. And I knew that by that point, I'd been to seminary and I had gone through the whole deconstruction and reconstruction process. But I think to an extent, those of us who have been formed in the culture of success, like we're constantly trying to kill that idol of success in our own hearts and minds, right? Like all of us. Yeah. I think it's going to, it's a lifetime journey. And so even though I knew that, like still that idol of success was alive and well in my own heart. And so I'm watching, you know, and so, so Willow Creek Church, and then you go to Harvest Bible Chapel and all of the controversy there within Chicagoland. And then you just, you all of a sudden, like, there's just this ongoing conversation with evangelicalism, uh, where the curtains are not just being pulled back on particular local churches, but like conversations on just toxic cultures, um, and then we, you know, get into church too, and, you know, the, out of the Me Too movement, and then, you know, conversations on Christian nationalism, and all these things all of a sudden are being exposed. And I started really pressing in like, okay, what we have hailed as success isn't, and actually is quite a, and yes, first of all, like, yes, like the spirit worked through all of these churches, lives were changed, lives were transformed. I think God works in spite of us. And also like, it's time that we critique what we've called success and start looking closer in the mirror. And instead of pointing the finger outward and saying, I, you know, I'm being persecuted because I'm a Jesus freak and almost um, just romanticizing this idea of persecution and instead pointing the finger inwards you know, instead of pointing outwards and engaging in culture wars, instead pointing the finger inward and saying, hmm, what if it's us that needs to change? Yeah, wow. That's intense. Yeah, one of the things we've talked a lot about it with our staff team here is how how do we be the same publicly as we are on the inside and vice versa? Like, how do, how do we avoid a dark underbelly to the leadership? Like, how do you get to a point where when someone comes on to staff or into, into leadership, that they don't find out things that they wish they didn't know. Yeah. Um, and that's a tough journey, that culture stuff that we're all facing. And um, I think that's one of the challenges of leadership right now is how do we be consistent throughout the whole of our life yep. together in our various churches? That's right. That's right. And I like in the book how you you talk about all of this. And certainly, I mean, you're definitely not picking on mega churches. It's just as an example yeah. of larger problems, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, right? And you start talking about contrasting that with a radiant church. Mm-hmm. And you use Hebrews to talk about this. What do you mean when you talk about the church being a radiant church? And how do you start going on that journey yeah. toward... Yeah. Rather than rather than away from, how do you go on a journey toward? Yeah, yeah, radiance? thanks. And I think that's important to mention, you know, just to highlight what you said again, Jason. I'm not critiquing, you know, just all mega churches. Um, I work at a mega church. I'm on staff at a mega church right now, and so I'm not saying, you know, small churches are the radiant ones and mega churches are toxic. Uh, what I am critiquing, I name this right out of the book, is I am a child of white evangelicalism, and so that is what I'm getting after. Is I'm looking at the culture of what we today are calling white evangelicalism and what it has become today, right? And so radiance isn't, you know, big or small, but radiance is a complete alternative. 
you know, as you said, Hebrews it talks about Jesus is, you know, the radiance mm-hmm. of God's glory. Jesus is the radiant one. He is the in the image of God. He is the reflection and the radiance of God. And our call then as his bride is to reflect and exude that radiance into the world. And so, you know, moving into that is it takes a lot of work. You know, I hear a lot of people every time we go through like one of these major critiques or major conversations uh, with evangelicalism, whether it has to do with, you know, um, sexuality or race or Christian nationalism, someone is always going to say, well, what about unity? Can't we just like come together and let's just get on our knees and let's just pray and let's just seek revival? Well, yes, but we're missing like 10 steps before we get to that point. You know, the path to radiance takes work in obedience to the spirit. And ultimately, you know, this this idea and this vision of radiance, it's not something we're going to get on a whiteboard and come up with a strategic plan. But it's it's you know, it's it's participation in the spirit and allowing the spirit to examine our hearts. It begins with that process of corporate examination of search our hearts, God, like search our hearts, the depths. Let's let's pull open the curtains and let us see the ways that we have participated in systems in this world that are harmful and ways that we have marginalized people and ways that we have hitched ourselves to success and the ways that we have hitched ourselves to power, to Christian nationalism or whatever it is. Let us see it, Lord. Let us name it. And then let us lament. Um, You know, and it and of course, all these things, I'm not the first to talk about it, it begins with scripture. And then there's been so many great scholars like Prof. Ra, for example, um, who've talked about the importance of lament. And lament is so important because lament is, is the process of putting our stake in the ground and saying, yeah, this is true. Um, lament keeps us from um, trying to maintain the status quo. Because the moment we begin to lament is a moment that we're saying the status quo is not okay and it's lamentable. We must lament it. And then out of that, you know, it's this process of confession couched within lament. Um, and then out of that is, is, you know, the process out of confession. It's it's proximity to others and seeking to understand. And we keep, you know, we go through these cycles of, of seeing, of, of confessing, of lamenting, of being in proximity of those who we've heard and seeking to understand. And then moving into this, you know, this process of reconciliation. Again, there's been so many that I've talked about the many, you know, layers to reconciliation, um, you know, and then just, just moving in then to when we begin, begin to move into those steps and through those steps. And it's not just a one time, it's over and over and over again. I believe then we can begin to reclaim something. And I believe then we can begin to see just a renewal and a revival of the church in North America as we know it today. That's, that's so powerful. I love I love hate <laughs> that the call to radiance begins with lament because I'm, I'm always the kind of person, show me the whiteboard. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. What do we have to do yeah. to get things rolling? And the power of lament, first of all, it's, it's saying that in whatever way I, w- I wish to acknowledge it, I being a part of the status quo church have to, repent of my complicity in that. Yep. 
in, in whatever way that looks like. And I need to, I need to benchmark this in a way that I can deeply reflect and allow it, allow the critique to happen, not because you want to stay there, but you have to go there first if you're going yep. to move somewhere else. That's right. Right? That's right. Otherwise, you'll just repeat what you've done before and just think, okay, it's just a new start. And then you start with sort of the wrong things. But what Lament does is it, it, it repositions you. Yep. It repositions us. And I think we're entering into those groans, you know, the spirit, we're participating in that. Um, and lament is, yeah, it, it helps us move on from that place of the status quo and move forward. Um, and in a naming and confessing way. And uh, I'll encourage everyone to read it in the book. You, you have a funny way of saying it when you're talking about labor. <laughs> talking oh, yes. About yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get to talk about that as That's a woman. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm like, yeah, you got it. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's really good. And talking about then a little bit of like, what does it mean then to move forward as trying to become a radiant church, trying to reflect the glory of God? What does it look like practically? What does it look like for evangelism? What does it look like for participation in our communities. And there are a couple of things that you say about being engaged in our communities. You talk about politics and you talk about, can you just say a little bit more about that? What are some things, if you're going to land the plane in some practical things about how do we move toward being a radiant church, what were some things that you would lift up? Yeah. You know, once we really move through those steps, we must remember that we're sent ones. We are sent out to love God with everything, to love our neighbor, and to make disciples. And those are such, you know, things that have been ingrained in us that I think in many ways that we have distorted. And I think what we're seeing with polarization is in some circles, it's either or. You know, we're either going to love our neighbor or we're going to make disciples. And one of the things I love so much that Eugene Cho has done with that is he said, you know, we are great commission people and we are greatest commandment people. And so what does it look like bringing those together as sent ones to go and make disciples and to bear witnesses? And so that means we've got to reclaim some practices uh, and return to some practices, uh, you know, of, of you, you know, some of the conversations that I observe with evangelicalism is either we care about social justice or we care about evangelism. And we've unhitched the two. Uh, We've separated the two. But landing the plane is reclaiming uh, practices uh, in more of a holistic, gospel-centered way, that we are greatest commandment people, that we are greatest commission people, that we are sent ones. And so, you know, returning to some of those practices, you know, that we've talked about for centuries, such as evangelism. And saying, okay, what is what does this look like, or what does the table look like today of breaking bread together, or what is what is the practice of corporate examine, or let's what is what does it look like for a, a community to be born again and reclaiming some of those corporate ideas rather than just individual. Yeah, that that's so important, right? Because for a lot of people, the the end all be all of their church experience is what did I get out of this today? Yeah, yeah, and they're willing to, they see church and we're definitely seeing this with online worship is the the purveyor of content. And 
it's all about consuming the content and I can yeah. get content from all sorts of places. Yeah. yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm part of a growing radiant church community. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We, yeah. it's, it's, you know, the whole old conversation is an old conversation of attractional versus missional. And I think, you know, in many ways we can't totally separate the two, but I do think that we've lost our missional imagination and missional heartbeat in this world. Yeah. Yeah. You, you say a radiant church previews the future. That might've been my favorite idea. Um, can you say more about that? A radiant church previews the future. Yeah. You know, oftentimes we, we hear scholars talk about all the time, this idea of the already, but not yet. And I don't know about you, Jason, but for me in the nineties and early two thousands, it was always about more about the not yet. It was about someday, like we're going to go to heaven. And my faith is about making sure I'm right with God. So I don't go to the bad place. And, you know, N.T. Wright would tell us, he would say, well, yes, but we're missing out on a more robust picture because it's actually not just about a holy me, but it's about a holy we. And it's not just about waiting for the future, but it's about believing that that future is impinging on the present, that it is about thy kingdom come here as it is in heaven. It's about leaning into the words of Jesus that says, repent for the kingdom of God is near, that it is at hand. And so this idea then of that, it's not just a holy me, but it's a holy we, plus the future impinging on the present, then this holy we ought to preview that future that's impinging on the present right here, right now. So if the world wants to know what God is like, they should be able to look at us. If the world wants to know, I mean, Jesus first, but the people of God in Christ. If the world wants to know what the future kingdom of heaven is going to be like someday when we join Christ in the resurrection of the new heaven and the new earth, well, they should be able to taste that in the community and the people of God in Christ. They should be able to see it, we are a preview that, so you know, and I'll just, so I'll, I'll keep going. I'll keep preaching. Jason. <laughs> keep it. You preaching. know, that someday if there's going to be a world of no more sorrow, the people of God in Christ ought to a preview a world of no more sorrow. If, if, if someday there's going to be, you know, a world of no more racism, by golly, the church should be leading the way in these conversations. If someday there's going to be a world of no more classism or sexism, then what does it look like for the church today to flip those things up on its head and show the world an alternative and a new way? Whatever we believe the future is going to look like, we got to open ourselves up to that kingdom and believe that it's breaking in here now and preview it to the world. It's so important because for so many people, it's just, it becomes an excuse. Well, we're all sin broken. It's not going to be like it is going to be. And what happens is then they just stop trying. Right. That's right. And oddly, it's (laughs) trying to be more conform to the image of Jesus is going to get you there, not trying harder to maintain the organizational reality of your church. Right. I mean, that part's necessary, but it's, if you could bring everybody on a communal return to faithfulness and repentance, that's what's going to make even the organizational sociological part of your church possible. Right. right. And I think, I think we usually start with the organizational sociological um, rather than the other way around. Right. Kind of, And so we get kind of stuck remaining in our polarizations. And I mean, my gosh, now it's like, how can you even imagine being a new way of thinking politically in the church when 
people think you are amoral by the virtue that you have a different opinion. Right. Like, like right. Both intolerance of, of intolerance, right? Yep. You're intolerant. Therefore I'm intolerant of you. And yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, like that nobody's allowed to have a different perspective. Right. And, and I had plenty of people in the church over this last year. I mean, from all different sides politically, the church needs to take a stand and the church needs to do this. And, and it's always for whatever you want is yep. what they need to take a stand for. But yep. that's right. That's right. You know, There's it's partisan politics. Um, yeah. And the way we've hitched ourselves to this idea of Christian nationalism, and it's interest. it's going to be interesting to watch. You know, a lot of us pastors were critiquing the way that Christians on the right had the complete and total inability to critique Trump. It was such extreme loyalty and we needed to talk about it. We needed to say, Hey, whoa, like let's slow down. Um, because our inability to critique a president was impacting our witness. One of my concerns now is, are we going to do the same thing on the other side? All of a sudden we've got Biden and is he now the king and, you know, incriticable. And is those on the left going to do the same thing that they were critiquing that those on the right were doing? Yeah. Man, yeah. this is so good. And Tara really Beth, thanks so much for being on with us today. Uh, again, um, I know that you're busy and just really appreciate your time. And I'm so excited that listeners will get to hear you. So our first ever conference that we're having, the Church Comeback Conference, April 19th through 21st, we're going to have Tara Beth Leach here with us again as one of our presenters. And we're so excited for that. want to encourage everyone to uh, to sign up. You just go, you can go on to reclaimleader.com or you can go on to ccc21.online and you'll be able to register for the event. But Tara Beth, thanks so much for being on with us. And any final thoughts as we uh, end our conversation here together? Yeah, you know, as one who has um, written a book about critiquing the church, I just want to say that I'm madly in love with with the church and I still believe in the church. And I just didn't write it for those that I wanted to critique but I also wrote it for those that were giving up and stopped believing. And so I just want to say, I believe in the church because I believe Jesus and I believe that Jesus believes in us. And I think that totally comes through in the book. So again, everyone, it's called Radiant Church. Please go out and get it. Uh, You won't be disappointed. And I'm so excited when uh, we get to meet again. Thanks so much for being on here, Tara Beth. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, Jason, so much fun to have Tara Beth on with us and really grateful for her heart, her love for the church, but also her ability to see some of the things that just aren't right that we need to to look at and course correct and lament and move on from. So um, thanks for uh, tracking her down and helping her become a part of the conversation here on The Reclaim Leader. Yeah, it was it's great having her on. And I just think this whole idea of a season of lament for what we've become in our churches and the tendency that we have to make an idol out of churches that we see are just like, Oh man, they must be having such a big impact on the world. And and they probably are, but there's a part of us that thinks that being a certain way of doing church is, is what a successful church looks like when it really, we know it in our heads, but we don't, don't always feel it in our hearts. We feel like I want to have an impact like they do. I want to have a reach like they do. I want to have an experience like they do. And then, like she said, you sort of, we've seen some really ugly stories come out yeah. the last few years. Yeah. And that's not always there. there behind the scenes. Totally. We don't always see all that stuff, but there, there can be that. And I think more than anything, it's just whenever you put something on an, uh, on a, a pedestal or, and make it an idol, 
without knowing the full story. I think that's where the danger lies, right? Where yeah. you're going to build something up only to find out something that you wish wasn't true or whatever. And I think part of it too is, is if we're not careful, it can actually rob us of the joy of the calling that we have, that God has given us, right? Yeah. We didn't get really into this in the conversation with Tara Beth, but for me, sometimes having that church that I look up to or that leader I look up to, it's good to be inspired, but then there's this little part that says, I mean, what you're doing is not enough, or you don't measure up, or whatever. And I, and, and if we're not careful, that can really, I think, uh, damage our ability to thrive in the calling that God has given us right where we are. So um, yeah, just it, really good stuff for, to wrestle through with her today. Yeah. And it also feels like if you're discontent with the fact that you're not this other kind of church, then, then you start missing out on what totally. God has blessed you with. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if we ever were in those shoes, I'm sure there'd be a lot of things that we'd go like, man, I wish I just was in a little bit smaller church where I could know real people and have real relationships and, yeah. you know, whatever I, 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 it's, you know, the old variations of the grass is always greener kind of stuff, but let's yeah. thrive in the calling that God has given us. Absolutely. And to that end, again, thanks everyone for listening. I want to encourage you. Hey, you want to hear Tara Beth? She's going to be speaking for us at our conference in April. Uh, there's a couple different ways you can participate in that conference. So if you just go to the website, you can find it from our website, or if you go to the direct website, it's ccc21.online. This stands for Church Comeback Conference 21. We're going to have a lot of great speakers. Todd Bolsinger, author of Canoeing the Mountains, Tara Beth, Dr. Bob Weitzel, Dr. Tom Cheney, uh, Michael Hottie, Somerset Media. Uh, we just Jason got a whole Tucker, lot of, yeah, well, the there you go. Leader. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got we got a whole bunch of great content. And again, the whole idea of this conference is that it's it's not just inspiration and education, but it's something that you could put into practice. We're going to work with your team to uh, come up with a three step plan that you're going to put into action here uh, as we finish the second half of 2021. And again, because we just want it to really help you. So hope you check it out. Hope you join us for that. And until next time, listen, ministry is hard. It is so much better when we do it together. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey. 